being a young executive, it's misinterpreted as, okay, that person's young and doesn't have enough experience. But there are ways to accelerate those learnings. Most of that is just being in learning mode. Get a good mentor and learn from them. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Casey Kalpin, who is the Chief Marketing Officer over at Premier Inc., where she went from manager to Chief Marketing Officer, y'all, in just eight years. And during this time, she actually handpicked a team of over 50 marketing professionals. Now, before joining Premier, she spent over a decade in Washington, D.C., And there, she grew her health, tech, and marketing experience as a leader with the American College of Cardiology. And she led the development of a suite of digital apps that empower cardiovascular patients to take control of their health. And by the way, she's a graduate of Florida State University with an MBA from American University. And just a snippet about Premier Inc., in case you're not familiar with it, they're a leading healthcare improvement company headquartered just up the road from me in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they work with more than 4,000 U.S. hospitals and health systems, approximately 175,000 other providers and organizations and other industry stakeholders to co-develop solutions that support high-quality, efficient, and sustainable health care delivery methods. And by the way, they've also been named one of the world's most ethical companies 14 years in a row. Wow. Casey, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm excited to be here with a fellow Carolinian. Woo, yes, right. North and South Carolinians unite. That's right. For an epic episode on Lead the Team. So Next let's episode, dive. Ben, we'll have to do some trivia. Okay, Just let's. Oh, whoa, whoa, okay. I've only lived here 15 years. Now in <laughs> Charleston, people say, well, you've been here, you, you've lived in Charleston a long time, but I know people that are like fourth generation. Carolinians and they remember yeah they've got stories about streets that used to be creeks and walls and all kinds of crazy stuff here. That's wild. Whew. All right, so let's let's dig into your amazing career. So what's your advice for first timers in an executive leadership meeting? And I want to call back the fact that manager to CMO in 8 years. Wow. So what's your advice? Oh, that is, you're, you're just really starting strong. Yes. Uh, you know, it has been a learning experience, I will say, going from, you know, having stand-ups with teams to managing teams to managing departments to being at the C-suite. One of, I think you also often ask this question, but one of the worst pieces of advice mm. I've ever gotten. I like that question. Is, which will become my actual advice is to not take notes during meetings. Don't take notes during meetings. Is the good advice or the bad advice? It's the terrible advice. The terrible don't, advice. don't be the woman taking the notes during the meetings. That was advice given to me. You know, don't look like the administrative secretary. Ah, okay. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Terrible advice because mm. you have an opportunity to own the agenda, to own the outcome, to own the follow-up and own the results and appear as if you are 
a leader and demonstrate your leadership skills very early on in your career. Mm. And so I was always growing up at this company for the past almost 10 years. I was the eager beaver to learn the business and to dive in and really color outside the lines um, in order to learn every nook and cranny about our vision and our mission and what we deliver to customers. So I guess my advice would be, you know, don't sell yourself short, jump in, help manage the agenda, help manage the follow-up, learn as much as you possibly can. Um, Don't have an ego and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, take the notes. Wow. Okay. Let's dive into that. I can totally see why that's a big advantage. Some people might see it as just a bunch of extra work. Yes. But you're controlling a lot because people will say something in a meeting and you're left to interpret it and and you can interpret it in a way that make helps them shine makes a lot more sense ties into things make them look like they say they said something profound perhaps in the meeting and you're even if it may not have been so profound at the time and you're controlling the next steps and it's like coming from your email so it might be going out to 10 people but it's coming from Casey's email. Yes. They're seeing your name appear time and time again. Yes. Brilliant. Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. And it's not a woman man thing. You know, it's, it's any opportunity where you are in a group setting and you can take control of the agenda and lead and even impact the direction of the output and the outcome, take it, take the reins and go. Yes. Um, yes. and, And honestly, I would, people are burnt out and have a lot of meetings on their calendar. I would probably say that if you don't see a meeting, if you have a meeting on your calendar where you have no sense taking the notes and reporting back on the outcomes, you should probably not even be there. Right. Nice. Just, just cancel it. Okay. Just, got you know, it. Great we're advice. We're to have a bunch, of, a bunch of listeners cancel a lot of meetings, I think. Yeah. And if you do attend and you're the note taker, it's going to make you more engaged. You can't yes. multitask as much. It's going to make you focus and you'll get more out of the meeting experience. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. Now, the flip side is you you bring up a point. There's this whole gender role thing where a lot of women were like the administrative assistants, secretaries, and they would be maybe the only woman in the room and, and taking notes. And that was their job. And today, women have made great progress, but still are not represented anywhere equally in the C-suite in, in most companies. Okay. Um, it happens, but not, not statistically uh, equal, equal in that way. What is like, like what's been your, your journey like that on that? Because you, you're, you know, as a female going through, I, I don't know what the, how, the, how is it your company, but at least a lot of companies, there aren't a lot of executive women in the C-suite. So, so well, what's your, what's your advice? I- yeah, I, it's a great question. I certainly have to give a shout out to Premier because they 51% of all VP and above are female, um, wow. it, which is right. awesome. I love that stat. Liking the trend. Yeah, the, exactly. no, it's a, hopefully it's a trend that's growing, but yeah. Exactly. And, you know, a mentor told me several years back, don't make gender an issue unless it has to be. Um, and so I really try not to make um, a big deal out of the fact that there are half women and half men in the room or one less woman in the room than men. I personally 
have taken several young women who are younger in their careers under my wing and helped to coach them to be confident and to, you know, represent themselves in a, in a incredible way. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are all, um, you know, companies and organizations that are going to choose the best candidates for the role, right? And so if that in my profession, that is often statistically often a woman, um, though there are many men that are awesome at marketing as well. Um, but I, my advice would be just don't make it an issue if you don't have to advocate for yourself. And so I, I think just just keep in mind that your skill set and your match for the company are are of utmost importance. Looking back over your your career, I, n- I noticed that you, when you're in in DC, uh, you're in, you're a lobbyist for for a while, right? And I'm curious, I, I, early in your career as a lobbyist, what did you learn as a lobbyist that has helped you in your career as a leader? Wow, great question. So one of the things that I learned as a as someone representing legislative issues in DC to lawmakers who uh you know you you want them to know everything about healthcare but they're not clinicians and they have an entire constituency to serve that is based on so much more than just healthcare is that storytelling is really important knowing your audience um, and this is both about being a marketing executive and about being a leader. Um, you know, you can't assume everyone knows all of the information that you know, and you can't assume that your audience is as in tune with all of that information as you are. And so the story that you would tell yourself about something is quite different than the story that you might tell someone else based on their reading level with the issue, based on their personal experiences from their past. And so storytelling has done um, a lot of good for me in my career. And as a leader, it's helped me connect with all generations of employees um, and all different kinds of, you know, diversity in the workforce to be able to say, here's how I have struggled with that in the past or failed with that in the past and try to help people overcome, you know, maybe obstacles that, that I've been able to overcome, um, with some storytelling. What's your favorite story to tell? Ooh, good question. You know, I think it it changes, but a lot of what I do in healthcare is connect to the mission of our company. I don't think anyone really works in healthcare today unless they have some sort of mission purpose in being there, right? And so um, I talk a lot about the technologies that we provide to the healthcare industry and the impact that they make, Hmm. um, which is an example of which is, um, you know, decision support in the workflow of a clinician such that if they have a patient that needs to be screened for different types of cancers based on some criteria that they can, I mean, identifying, you know, identifying cancer at the point of care is just an insane, insane idea. If you've ever had someone with cancer in your family or friendships, um, and so healthcare is a beautiful place to tell stories. I have a lot of them. And so when you, when you're thinking about it, do you have a certain structure that you like to follow? Uh, yeah, 
I know a lot of people do, right? It's like, um, it's like, you know, tell, well, I will say uh, with the audience that I am often talking to and from a sales perspective, right? Because marketers are sellers. Everyone's kind of a seller, but that's another podcast. What I usually do is I say, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Right. So you're basically telling them the same thing three times in three different ways. But I mean, how many alert? Like my phone is going crazy right now, Ben. I don't know about yours, but it's like lighting up and red alerts. And there are so many distractions. We consume so much more information today than we did a hundred years ago. And so when you can capture someone's attention, and I'm going to tell you, here's what we're going to talk about today, then I'm going to tell you what we talk about, then I recap, people really appreciate sort of um, the structure and the brevity and the repetition of, of that kind of storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it's, we are in a distracted world. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Having a great message that that's compelling and that you may have to have to see it a few times. Yes. You may have to share it a few times, written, verbal, video, tweet, Absolutely. You know, there's another, what I'll share is that there's another, and it's again, more from a sales perspective, but, um, but we call it TUFA. So um, when you're interacting with someone that you're either in a sales process with, or, you know, even as a lobbyist, you're selling, right? Go in and talk about them first. That's the, that's the really the capturing the moment to capture them, to tell them that you've done your research, then talk about us, talk about yourself, then talk about the fit. Right. Mm. Um, And, and that's what, that's really um, a way to sort of say, we know you, we understand your challenges and, Mm -hmm. and kind of have some milestones along the story to be able to say, are you with me? (laughs) Right. Are you with me? Um, so that's another framework that I've used in the past. Yeah, it's great to, to demonstrate, hey, I, I've done my research, I'm prepared for this meeting, and you're gonna versus a lot of other people who just come in and sort of information dump oh my gosh on, on a congressional leader. I can or 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 a customer. Yeah, know, absolutely. First. I think that makes a lot of sense. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So what's your advice or what's some advice that you would give your younger self today or something new that you'd try? Ooh. So there's so much, let me go in this direction because there's so much talk right now about burnout. You know, it's like burnout and you hear the term balance, work-life balance. Uh, and I've struggled with that a lot. Like I, I always will love what I do. And the minute I stop loving what I do, I'm going to look for another opportunity because I'm very motivated by being, by being attached to a mission and a vision, you know, find your groove, be true to yourself and, and Work life, ba- I feel like this whole work life balance thing is like makes it sound like work and life are both terrible. 
and you want to mute them both. But mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos actually love them or leave them. One of the things that he says about work-life balance is it is work and life are a circle. And I feel I feel so much um, connection to that statement because if I'm if work is going really well and I'm really inspired, mm-hmm. if I'm working long hours or if I'm working short hours, but I'm incredibly inspired and I feel good about my output and my delivery, then my home life is great too. Right. Because I come home with that same energy to apply to my kids and my husband. And I'm just like amped up. Um, Sure, I could shave a few hours off of each of those days. um, And I try to block out bodies of time to spend with my kids that I, you know, a workaholic wouldn't otherwise do. But I, but I, I think when you, you really have to figure out what motivates you. Um, and this is a lot of advice for my younger self. I'd probably be, be like TMI, Casey, that's TMI. Um, but I think about, think about what motivates you and then find like your circular rhythm with that. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. I think you've, you've really done it. I mean, you've, you followed it, you know, you're walking the talk on that. And a lot of people, Hey, they just say, I want to get out and just get a job and make some money in my interest area, but you're taking it to the next level. I like really love that. And when, when did you discover in life, hey, this is the kind of work that I love? Or did you sort of get into the job and say, hey, I actually really like doing this. <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. So my landline is blowing up. I mean, who has a landline <laughs> anymore? Who has a landline? Yeah. So I I know it's it's always been healthcare. I've never worked outside of healthcare. I've really stuck with that. Um, and that's because it's always been an easy next step. Like I've never actually applied for a job online. I've just made connections. Even this company, I like stalked the, um, person that was closest to the CEO. And I was like, I need a job at this company. It's exactly where I want to raise a family. It's 10 minutes, you know, from my home. I want to work. It's an incredible company. Um, but I, I think that I've, I've stayed within the same industry, but then bounced around a lot. Um, I haven't figured it all out. You said I figured it all out. Oh my gosh. I've had so many highs and lows and fails and epic fails. Um, but, but I do think, you know, when you find your groove, you feel it. I mean, Ben, like you love what you're doing, right? You're just like, let's do this. Um, and so you've got to find that runner's high in your career in order to continue to, you know, run the marathon. I'm not a marathon runner and I'm using marathon analogies. What I I love that analogy. Your career is a marathon, not a sprint. So you apply a longer term lens to it. That'll be keep going. Yes. I mean, I mean, I I love that. that. I love that. That works for us. Yeah, it works. Now you mentioned you've had a lot of highs and lows, failures. You have a favorite failure that you'd love to share and sort of use as a teaching point or a motivational point for others? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, I think that as caution, so I'm a young executive um, and a female, and I'm making gender an issue, even though I said, don't make gender an issue, but we sometimes overcompensate with our imposter syndrome by coming in hot. Like I'm don't include really to observe just as much as you contribute. 
um, and, and learn to be in learn mode. So um, constantly being this mode of learning and absorbing and be a sponge, listen more than you talk. I mean, and these are all things that I learned real quick because if you're self-aware, you can tell what kind of push, put, buttons you're pushing, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I just think the failures would be because I um, was really trying to overcompensate and really trying to be less authentic and more aggressive than I should have been at that time or have that much confidence for how much experience I had. Hmm. Some of the questions that I often get asked are, you know, related to imposter syndrome and sort of, if I feel like I um, belong or if I feel like I blend and like, look, look at me, I'm literally wearing like a hot pink and orange blazer. I never belong. I'm always the, the, you know, person that is like outrageously dressed and, um, loud spoken. Always. Have you <laughs> always done that? Oh, you're wearing a bow tie, Ben. Have you always done that? <laughs> Not always. Probably no. in a couple years. Yeah. I, I haven't always either. Just for I fun. would try to blend better. Maybe, maybe you wore a tie. Yeah. But but now you're coming in. You feel like you know, like your executive gear. You're you're bringing like a CMO bold fashion statement. Is that part of your part of your leadership style? I mean, not really. I'm just being myself. I'm just wearing what motivates me in the morning to get the job done, and I'm being myself. But it but a, being a young executive is sometimes misconstrued with being with not having enough experience right sometimes it's misinterpreted as okay that person's young and doesn't have enough experience but there are ways to accelerate those learnings that don't necessarily include years decades of experience right and most of that is just being in learning mode get a good mentor and learn from them yeah. right what do you look for in a good mentor experience <laughs> years of experience. I mean, I look for the opposite of me and a good mentor. I look for someone that is very different from me because I want to know how other people think about things that I'm applying my mind to. I want to know, I want to get inside the minds of my audience that I don't necessarily know. I don't need a mentor that's a friend because I've got friends that can drink wine and tell me and give me advice. I want someone that is very different than I am. Yeah. You don't want someone just to validate everything that you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Someone to challenge you a little bit. Yeah. And I do think that comes with time too. Like, oh man, they're, they're awfully nice to me. Will, will you be my mentor? Versus, man, they challenge me every every time. You know, I have a conversation with them. Maybe it'd be good to formalize this a little bit more and have a formal mentoring relationship where they're giving me more direct feedback. Even Yes. Even, it can be hard to get direct feedback, but, um, but you kind of have to desensitize it a little bit, you know, like you, you, I'm just kind of new into podcasting, but I'll call you after this podcast. and I'll be like, Hey, do you have any feedback for me? And maybe the first time you won't say anything. And then the next time I call, you'll be like, actually, you should have used a microphone. Your MacBook pro was like losing its connectivity. You should have, you know, right. Like the more I ask you for feedback, the hungrier I sound. And so you sort of start searching for it 
you just have to kind of desensitize the topic of feedback, I think. It's true. Sometimes I, I have uh I'm a believing I believe in coaching, I believe in mentoring. And um, I'm an executive coach, I, and I'm mentor. I, I'm a believer in it, and I do it for others. And there, I have a, I have one mentor I'm thinking in my mind right now, and I always cringe a little bit before I call him because I'm like, it's gonna be. I just know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I know what I want to talk about, and I, I I I know it's gonna be brutal, but I yeah. always gain a lot from those conversations. And I don't always walk out of there also feeling confident. Sometimes right. I feel so challenged. I'm like, man, I need to talk to someone. What am I one of my encouraging friends? But I but I walk away with act truly actionable things that have enormously accelerated uh, my career, you know, my business and and on so many fronts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think feedback especially if you're in coaching, you know, feedback is hard to receive and hard to give, but that's where the desensitization comes in. It's like, you know, build tougher skin and use it to your advantage. It's such a gift. I mean, it is such a gift. I'll present and there will be new people in the room and I'll say, you know, what did you think? And sometimes they just play back the, you were great. It was perfect. That's not what I want to hear. I want to be like, I want them to say, you said the word, but too many times, or you said the word and, you know, or, um, um, I want them to tell me my little ticks and things that I can do to improve. And so if leaders aren't asking for feedback, that's a mega, mega red flag for me. Yeah. When in your career did you start asking for it? Was it, were you doing this early on? I know I sure wasn't. It when, was when it probably midway through my career when I really, and I would always ask for feedback, but it would always destroy me. Yeah. Just yeah. Be like, oh. I stopped. Yeah. One brutal feedback session. No, I, I, I'm good. Just tell me yeah. how great I was, please. I mean, it's like, did you grow up in therapy or not? Right. And I really <laughs> didn't until my have therapy until my adult years. But, but if you grew up in therapy, you're probably great with feedback. You're like, yeah, yeah. let's talk about it. You know, let's talk this out. Whereas I wasn't necessarily, it sort of was like just, you know, a stab in the heart every time. And then I just started realizing like, these people aren't giving me feedback because they don't Hmm. believe in me. They're giving me feedback because they think there are ways in which I can tweak my approach to better resonate. And so it really is just such a gift to have people in your life who are willing to tell you truthfully um, you know, how you're doing. I love it. Feedback is a gift. If you can maintain that mindset, everything else changes in terms of your approach to it, receiving, giving. Um, although when I'm giving, going to give some feedback to somebody like on even someone that, that works for me, I always ask permission. Yes. If they're like, nope. I don't know, or you can just tell they're not really into it or they want it. Like, we'll do this another time then. Oh my gosh, that's so true. And I've actually said before, I'm not open to it right now because my confidence is just destroyed and I can't, but then I always come back later and I'm like, now I'm starving for it. Tell me what you're doing. Good, Casey. Well, sort of wind this up. What's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why is it important? 
Oh, yes. Okay. So you asked me next week, it might be something different this week. It, and that's an invitation to invite me back to your podcast. But this week is to assume positive intent. I mean, especially in the workplace, everyone has a different style of communicating. Some people use emojis and emails. Some people are just very straightforward. Some leaders are empathetic. Some are sort of standoffish and want a very professional relationship. Assume positive intent of everyone that you're interacting with. And, you know, you will just have a great day. So if you walk in tomorrow and people listen to this podcast, which they all will, and they say, hey, uh, I'm going to assume positive intent. How would your office look different? How would my office look different? Well, I think that, you know, I lead that way. So my office probably wouldn't look very different because we all assume positive intent. But I, I think that, you know, it would be teams would be less, uh, would break down barriers and friction points in working together. Hmm. And families so too. It's like, you know, how you'll just like rattle something off at your husband or wife. And you know how they always say, like, you never know what someone's going through, mm. <laughs> right? You yeah. really have to assume that it's coming from a good place because otherwise you're just going to start just hating each other. Um, and not liking working together is probably mm. the worst, not liking your colleagues and who you work with and your team and your leader is probably the worst possible life to live considering we spend so much time doing it. So yeah, assume positive intent. Yeah. I, I can see a place where trust has increased. People are having yes. more meaningful conversations because they're assuming that people care about each other. Right. And that they want each other to succeed and that they all want the company to grow. Yes. And be better. And you just have different conversations. I mean, I, yes. Trust, authenticity, feedback, right? Um, all of these things that would come freely if we assumed positive intent yeah. from someone and they assumed we were coming from a positive place. Yeah. Fewer, fewer, I guess, less defensiveness, fewer fiefdoms in companies where they're like protecting their own data. I'm not going to give this data to marketing because who knows what they'll do with it uh, versus, hey, we're going to have a free flow of information here. Right, uh, because we're on a mission, which is the mission of our of our patients and the, and the healthcare providers that we're trying to help. Exactly, I love that. Put a bow on it. Right. Why don't you put a bow on it and uh, let us know what's your parting thought for our listeners today? I'm just excited to be here. I'm new to the podcast. I've I've listened to several of your episodes. I think you're you. you know a killer coach, um, and I. I just, you know, we'll take it back to that, to that sort of work in life or a circle. I think I would leave people that are feeling super burnout with, you're probably lacking some motivation. It may not be that your list is so long, but it might be that you're just not loving what you're doing. So take control of your life and get out there and um, find the right mix of, of work in life that can be more of a circular motion for you. And let's chat again, Ben. Let's I love do your it. Life. Thanks, Casey. Thank you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, 
Do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.